Well, good morning. Uh, let me add my welcome to you. Uh, as first mentioned, my name is Murray. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer, um, and it is a, it's a joy to get to bring God's Word to us this morning. I'm going to start my timer so that I don't forget to. Bear with me. Um, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to uh, Romans 11. And we're continuing in our study of the book of Romans. Um, we're going to be in Romans 11, verses 11 to 24. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, this is my fourth year serving here at Redeemer, which feels insane that I've been here almost as long as I lived in uh, St. Louis in seminary. Um, and I was actually just thinking a moment ago about how it was probably around four years ago uh, this month that I first heard about uh, the position here at Redeemer. And uh, it gives me um, great thankfulness to the Lord that he's brought us uh, to this church. Um, it has been a, it's been a gift to, to serve here. And one of the things that's happened over the last four years is, um, as you know, one of my primary areas of ministry is with our students. And so I've gotten to spend um, hours upon hours with our middle and high school students. And your middle and high school students have been unlucky enough to have to spend hours upon hours with me uh, over the last three plus years. And, and I would say students that we've gotten to know each other pretty well. Um, I feel like um, you know me and I know you. One thing you know about me is that when I, that sometimes my ADD will take over and I'll go down a rabbit trail and it's been five minutes all of a sudden. I've gone on way too long about something that I didn't need to go on about, right? And I know students what it looks like when you're interested in something and what it looks like when you're not interested. Um, generally, when I'm on one of those rabbit trails, I can see the, the eyes in the room sort of rightfully, I would say, glaze over, get that thousand yard stare. Um, I, can, I, can, I can see the, the yawns per minute, you know, start increasing. I can, I can hear the, the crinkling of the wrappers and the, and the Coke cans in the room. And I know, okay, Murray, it's time to move on to something else. But I also know that, that there's a change that happens when I go from talking about something, right, to, to telling a story about something. And I can see like the, the eyes kind of come back to the room, that the noise die down, the energy come back. Why is that? Well, because stories have the power to, to shape or to, to stir up attention and affection in us, don't they? Um, and, and even to actually shape the kind of people that we are. A story, right? We're all made to be shaped by a story. And, and really what Paul has been doing all through the letter to the church at Rome is he's been telling us in a very clear way the story of the gospel, right? The story of our desperate need for righteousness and the story of God's commitment to meeting that desperate need with the righteousness of Christ for us, right? And as we got to chapter 9, right, we've been in chapter 9 to 11 for the last several weeks, and we got to chapter 9, it's as if Paul knows that, that there's this temptation in the air to, to wonder whether this story of the gospel is different from the story that God told his Old Testament people, Israel. Right? There's, there's a temptation to wonder, is this a different kind of story? And yet all through chapters 9 to 11, Paul has given us, it's almost like he's zoomed out, and he's given us this 30,000-foot view of the story of God's purposes and the story of God's people. That, that even while God's people, Israel, have failed in some respects, God's promises and purposes for them and through them have not. And as we come to our text today, what Paul wants us to see, what he's offering us, is to see that in Jesus, that is the same story that you and I get to belong to, that we're invited to belong to. 
the story of God's ongoing and unchanging, inevitable plan of redemption for and through his people. And it's a story, Paul says, what we're going to find is that it's a story that will actually shape our lives. And it will actually set us on a particular mission in this world. So how? Well, let's look at our text this morning, Romans 11, verses 11 to 24, and see what we find. Paul writes, So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I am speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump, and if the root is holy, so are the branches." But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember that it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, well, well, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Let's pray as we come to God's word. Father, uh, we confess that um, this passage is is difficult. It's challenging, um, and it's easy to read it and wonder, what is going on here? But God, we also know um, that what you say is that our lives are like grass that withers and and flowers that that fade away, and yet that your word, your purposes stand forever. And so God, we need your Spirit's help this morning. God, we want to know Uh, this story that you've invited us to belong to. And so we ask that you would help us by your spirit to understand it, God. Not not just in our heads, not even just in our hearts, but in our heads, our hearts, and our hands and feet as we go out to serve you this week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, Paul has been giving us this grand sweeping picture over the last several weeks as we've been in these three chapters of this unchanging and unstoppable story of God's plan of redemption. The story that in Jesus, you and I are invited to belong to. And it's a story, like I said a minute ago, that that will shape everything about how we live in this world. 
And one of the primary ways the story shapes us can be summed up, I think, in a single word. And it's, and it's a word that, that Fritz has used throughout these three chapters. And, and after reading these chapters over and over, I, I'm convinced that, that it's really the heartbeat of, of chapters 9 to 11. That is the word of evangelism, right? That to belong to this truer and better story is also to be set on mission in this world. That, that you have a real purpose, a mission, a call in this world. And you can know that because of the story you belong to. So how, how does this story set us on mission? How does, it, how does it encourage us, push us, fuel us in evangelism? Well, three things, and uh, you'll notice they all alliterate. I, told, I texted Fritz this week that I'm my father's son. He alliterates and I alliterate. Um, so what does this story do? Well, it gives us a purpose, a place, and a promise. A purpose, a place, and a promise. So first, Paul wants us to see that this story that you belong to is a story that gives us a purpose. It gives us a purpose. Look at verse 11. Right, Paul, Paul starts with a question, as he's done many times throughout the letter. Right, he says, did they, that, that is ethnic Israel, God's Old Testament people, did they stumble in order that they might fall? It's really, it really is the same question he asked at the beginning of chapter 11, uh, where, where he asked, has God rejected his people? In other words, the question at the heart of this chapter is, is what do we make of Israel as God's chosen people rejecting the gospel? What do we make then of Israel in this grand scheme of God's story? Have they failed in their purpose? Last week, uh, in, in, in the first part of chapter 11, as Fritz preached on, what, Paul's answer really was that Israel has not been hardened Fully. They've not failed fully, right? God has always reserved a remnant chosen by grace for himself. They haven't failed fully. And this week he, he says, no, they haven't failed. They, ha they haven't failed forever. They've not stumbled beyond recovery. Their purpose is not over. Rather, he says, even their rejection, even their stumbling and hardening has been used for a purpose. What is that purpose? It's to bring you and I into the story. Look at the end of verse 11 through verse 12. Paul, he builds this sort of chain reaction. John Stott in his commentary called it a chain of blessing, right? He says, he answers this question, by, by no means, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. We're gonna come back to that idea of making Israel jealous, I promise. Um, but, but Paul is pointing us at this point to the story up to the present. Right, he shows us that God has used even the rejection of Israel to win the Gentiles. Right, the rejection of the Jews to the gospel was, was not unexpected. It was actually the very thing that God has used to draw you and I, the Gentiles, in. And now what he says is like he used his people, the Jews, to draw in his people, the Gentiles, like he used their rejection to draw you in. Now he says he's using your acceptance to draw back in his people. Right? He's, he used his people to draw in his people, and now he is using his people to draw in his people. Does that make sense? And yet God's purpose does not just end there. It, it goes further. Verse 12, Paul, Paul looks down the road at, at the future of this story, right? and, and this day of even greater blessing and riches to the world. What does he say? He says, now, now if their trespass, that's Israel's trespass, means riches for the world, if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, 
I know that we all have questions about what, that mean, what he means by full inclusion. And I know it might feel like we've been playing hot potato with that throughout 9 to 11, but I promise Fritz is going to deal with that next week. He's going to come back to that because Paul's point is not to explain that at this point in the text. That's not what he wants to do at this moment. All he wants us to see is this picture, I think, of God using his people to win his people and using his people to win his people until all his people come in. Does that make sense? It's, it's this, it's this ping-ponging blessing back and forth, increasing exponentially, right, in scope and glory until it means riches for the world. See, to belong to this story, Paul says, is to find your life wrapped up in that same chain of blessing. God using his people to draw in his people to draw in his people. So how is he doing that through you, church? Well, it is in that, I think in part, it's that strange phrase at the end of 11, verse 11, and, and, and how Paul describes his ministry in verse 13, right? So as to make Israel jealous. Um, Fritz, Fritz mentioned this because it came up in chapter 10, right? He mentioned this last week, and I loved the phrase he came up for, with for it, that, that, that evangelistic envy, Right, that the purpose of your life in this story, in part, is to stir up a redemptive longing. Yes, in, in our Jewish friends and neighbors. Yes, to, to, be, to be a part of the same covenant promises that you have been invited into in Jesus. But, but I think it goes further. To live a life in this world that tells a better story. That invites others to come and find themselves in this same truer and better story that, that, that stirs people up to long to have what you have. It's a good thing. And yet our lives will, will only stir, our lives will only be able to stir up that evangelistic envy. We'll only have that aroma of Christ Jesus to the extent that we understand exactly what kind of story this is. And that's where Paul goes next in 15 to 16, right? Paul, Paul, again, he looks way forward to the very end of the story to show us that the story we belong to, the purpose which you have been given, is aimed at no less than God bringing life from death. It's no less than life coming out of death. It's a day when all things are made new, where all of God's promises and his purposes of redemption and salvation are fully and finally realized. And it's a picture of abundance. It's the same life-giving story uh, that, that Ezekiel found himself wrapped up in. Um, one of the commentators I read referenced, referenced the part of Ezekiel in, in Ezekiel 37, where you have the picture of this prophet Ezekiel who's a prophet to God's people as they're in exile in Babylon. They've been ripped out of their homeland, the place of their purpose, right? You can imagine the, the questions, the doubt, the wondering of what is God doing? Is it over for us? Is there anything left to hope for? Has God given up on his purposes? And in the middle of that place, God gives Ezekiel a vision where Ezekiel is led by God's spirit out into this desolate valley that is full of dry, brittle, cracked, and, and sun-bleached bones. Full of bones. I imagine it like the elephant graveyard in, in The Lion King, right? Full of, des of a place of desolation. And, and as Ezekiel's standing there looking at this valley of bones, God commands Ezekiel to prophesy God's life-giving promises that he has already made to Israel, 
But now he says, Ezekiel, I want you to, I want you to speak these promises over these bones. And Ezekiel does it. And what happens? As Ezekiel does this, he watches as little by little the, the bones begin to move, begin to shake and rattle. They start moving towards each other and connecting with tendon and sinew, right? Muscle is formed around and over them. Flesh covers them and they stand up and God breathes life into them. And suddenly Ezekiel finds himself standing in in what was once this valley of dry and brittle bones, right? A place of death and now is a valley that is teeming with life. And then God tells Ezekiel, as he's looking at this countless army of new life. God tells Ezekiel, you know, I want you to go back now, Ezekiel, to my people, my my dried up, brittle, lost and hopeless people, and I want you to tell them, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will place my spirit within you and you shall live. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. See, friends, the story you belong to is the same kind of abundant, life-giving story that Ezekiel belonged to. This story of God bringing life from death, where God is making all things new. It's an abundant story, and and yet it's not just abundant, it's expansive. Verse 16, Paul, Paul, he uses these two images, which which can be a little confusing. He says, "If, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Paul Paul is doing what he's done before. He's he's arguing from the lesser to the greater, right? And there's there's all sorts of questions about what exactly he means by by the first fruits and the root. Um, But really, I think what Paul is wanting us to see is that you belong to the same story that Israel belonged to. And it's a story of God's expanding purposes in this world. That that it's not over, right? That, That... just like the first, that, that moves out from the first fruits of the dough to the whole lump, that moves from the root of the tree up to the branches, right? From the patriarchs out to you, Gentiles, where, where God is using, is even now using his people to win his people, to win his people, to win his people. So what, what does this purpose mean for us? See, we are, we are all being shaped by a story, friends. We are. And what Paul wants us to see is that this story of the gospel is a story of expansive and abundant life coming from death. Through you, in you and through you, God's people. So so let me just ask us to consider, is, is this story shaping how we live in this world? How might this story shape how I relate to, speak with, or, or think of my unbelieving friends and neighbors, my unbelieving family members? What, what about the way that I interact with others online, particularly this year as we approach an election year? The, the way that I speak about the other side of the political spectrum? What, what about students? What about the people that I choose to sit with at lunch? The, the, whether I engage when somebody is being picked on and made fun of, the way that I speak to my parents, parents, the way that I speak to my children. How, how might this story of abundant and expansive life start to shape? What would those things look like if that was the story that was shaping me? See, the only way that those things start to change 
in order to offer a, a picture of a better story to our, to our neighbors, one that God might actually use to stir up others to want to be a part of it as well, what has to happen first, friends, is we have to take hold of the beauty of the story that we belong to. We have to understand the beauty of this story because it is a story that is better than any other story that can shape you. It's based not on what you do, but what God has done, is doing and has promised to do, drawing in his people, bringing life from death. It's it's an unstoppable, inevitable story. See, this this glorious story is, it, it wraps us up and will wrap us up in a glorious purpose to draw others into it as well. But, but in order to live into that purpose, Paul says, we also need to understand our place in it. We need to understand our place within this story. And that's where he goes next. Look at, look at verse 17. Paul, Paul kind of, he, he's just said, the root is holy, so are the branches. And he expands this image out of this tree. Verse 17, he says, but if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and, and, and you now share in this nourishing root of the olive tree. Paul is using this image of this tree to, to say again what he's already said once, right? He said in verse 11 that, that it's through Israel's hardening, through their rejection, that you've been brought in. And he says that the story we belong to is, is a story in which we, even though we were wild olive shoots, had no part, even though we had no part in this tree, that we were grafted on. That we now share in the nourishing root of this tree. It's a picture of God drawing in and rooting a people, you and me, in the nourishing root of the gospel of Jesus, God's chosen Messiah. And yet the reality is, Paul's, Paul's saying something hard here. He's saying that us coming in, it did come at a cost. It has come at a cost, hasn't it? In order for you to be grafted on, what had to happen? Natural branches that had lost their fruit have been cut off. So, so we might ask the question, you know, why, th- then why graft any branches on at all? Why not just cut off the unfruitful branches? Why bring wild olive shoots into this cultivated and tended for tree at all? Well, um, there, was a, there was a known practice. I didn't know this before this week. This is the beauty of, of getting to study God's word. There was a known practice uh, in horticulture at this time, particularly in Palestine, where, where gardeners knew that in certain exceptional circumstances, when you had an olive tree that was on the verge of decay, right, that had almost entirely stopped bearing fruit, uh, one thing that could be done in extreme circumstances was, was to cut off some of those natural, non-fruit-bearing branches and to graft on these wild olive shoots. Because what would often happen is is something would happen between that wild olive shoot and the root of the tree where, where it acted sort of a, as a catalyst, kind of kick-starting the systems of the tree again, almost reminding the tree of what it was made to do, to bear fruit, right? So, so to give a place to these wild shoots, it was not only for the good of the wild shoot, it was for the good of the tree. It's for the good of the tree as well. And what Paul is saying, I think, is that that is what God has done in bringing us into his family. That the grafting on of the Gentiles is not only for our good. It's not only for our good in inviting us to share in the promises that we read about in Ezekiel, in inviting us to share in the promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs of the Jewish faith. 
It's also for the good of the tree, to remind the tree, to bring, the, to bring fruit out of the whole tree once more. It's a glorious place, it really is, and yet there's a temptation. There's a temptation towards something because it is also a story we had no part in. We were wild shoots, part of a wild tree off on its own, untended to. And, and this place that we've been given, because of that, Paul says, it ought to lead us to a particular posture. It's a posture that, I, that, I, that I'm calling evangelistic humility. Evangelistic humility. Look at verse 18. Here's the warning. Do not be arrogant, Paul says, toward the branches. That is, these natural branches, right, that have been cut off. Why? Because the root to which those branches were connected is the same root that now supports you. It's the same story. Look at this call and response in verses 19 to 20, right? Paul says, you you might say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Do you hear that sense of pride and privilege there? Paul's answer is, yes, that is true. They were broken off. Why? Was it because of some lack of worthiness in them to be a branch? No. He says it was because of their unbelief. See, the natural branches were not cut off for a lack of worthiness in the branch. They were cut off for a lack of understanding that what made them a branch was not their worthiness at all. It was their connection to the root. It was the connection to the root. It was the kindness, the mercy, the love of God. And the same is true of you and me as wild shoots. Paul says to belong to this story is to know that you have no part in it apart from the kindness of God in bringing you in, in grafting you on. Your part in this story is not based on any worthiness or exceptionality in you. It is based on the kindness of God. Here's what I think Paul's saying in this this conversation about our place and what it leads us to is, is that there is little, friends, that is more damaging to our evangelism in this world, to our evangelistic purpose in this world, than to live a life of spiritual pride and arrogance. There's little that will do more harm to your witness with your neighbors than to live a life of pride. And I think that applies both in our relationships with one another and our relationships with the world. To to live a life with one another where where we look down on fellow believers over, over differences we have theologically, culturally, politically, will do harm to our purpose in this world. To live in relationship with the world that out of a place of anger and disdain, and I would even say fear, you know, to, to, to live a life that in some ways yells at our unbelieving neighbors, good riddance, rather than with an open hand saying, come, come and see, come and see the story of a God who grafts on wild olive shoots onto a tree. And I want to, one more thing, because I just, I don't think we can get away from it. When we think of the context of this church, largely Gentile church, uh, Jewish people are coming back to the city of Rome after having been cruelly expelled, like Fritz mentioned last week. Friends, it's for this reason that, that anti-Semitism, that, that racism of any kind has no place in the church. It has no place in the church. Prejudice has no quarter, is to have no quarter in our hearts or in our church, even with people that we fundamentally disagree with on important issues, is to have no place. 
Because, Paul says, spiritual pride, pride in any form, is a fundamental misunderstanding of what God is about. He is about grafting in all the nations into his olive tree. Because it's not based on your or my or their worthiness to belong to that tree. It's based on the worth of the one who hung on a tree so that we might be brought in. See, friends, that is a story that when we, when we understand our place within it will lead us to live humbly with our neighbors. Yes, speaking the truth, but speaking it in love and gentleness. And as we find our purpose and our place in this story, what, what are we promised? What are we promised? Well, look lastly with me at verses 23 to 24. Because Paul says this story does come to us to offer us a promise. Verse 23, Paul says, and even they, again, that, that's unbelieving Israel, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. See, the, the promise we are given, I think, I think can be summed up really simply, is that the story we belong to is not over. It's not over. The gospel does not end with you and me. There is no, and Paul is saying there is no one, no matter how unbelieving they are, that is beyond the reach of this story of God's kindness. You know, Fritz said last week as he was talking about the remnant, God will always have a people. And I would say Paul here is saying, and God will finally have his people. And even now, he's committed to the work of grafting branches onto the tree, whether wild shoots or natural branches that have been cut off. Um, I, I had a professor at Covenant uh, when I was there named Dr. Hans Beyer. Um, Dr. Beyer is this deeply, one of the kindest men I've ever met. He's so humble. He's soft-spoken. He has this wonderful German accent. He was sort of the, uh, the resident German grandfather on Covenant's campus. And I had Dr. Beyer for this class that was on Paul's letters uh, and, and, and the book of Acts. And so we talked a lot about the early church and how, God's, how the gospel of Jesus was spread in and through the, the early church um, and what that means for how it spreads now with us. And, and Dr. Beyer had, had this way of describing this uh, in class, and, and it's a little complicated, so I'll say the whole thing and then I'll simplify it, okay? So he would, he would put up his hands in an X and he would say, you know, the story of the church um, the story of the gospel spreads through the ministry of the church. And, and, it's, and so the story of the gospel is one where it's spreading, inevitable spread of it, internally in the church and externally beyond the church, despite internal and external opposition. I know that's a lot, so let me sum it up. He, would say, he was saying that the story we read about in the early church is one where the gospel is inevitably moving forward despite inevitable opposition. Inevitably moving forward despite inevitable opposition, abundantly and expansively. And, and the reality of that story really did shape Dr. Beyer. Because whenever Dr. Beyer in class would talk about unbelievers, he wouldn't use the word unbeliever. He would say, not yet believing. Not yet believing. Because what Dr. Beyer believed and what was, shaping his, what was shaping his life was this story that God even now is committed to grafting branches onto his tree. And it's the same life of evangelistic confidence that, that we are invited to by Paul. A life of confidence that no one is beyond the reach of this story. And that God himself 
that the power is the Lord's, that he himself is even now grafting people into his tree. And what evidence does Paul give us as, as, we, as we come to a close? What evidence does he give us that, that we can stake our lives on that story? Look at verse 24. What he, what he does, he holds up the mirror and he says, because that is what God has done for you. Look at verse 24. For if you were cut off, if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, a tree you had no part in, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Again, we're going to get to what Paul means more specifically next week by that. But for now, what Paul wants us to see is that God is grafting branches in, whether wild or natural. It's what it's, it's his purposes from the beginning of time. And he now invites us to be a part of it. Um, in that last verse, you know, Paul uses the picture of, of the olive tree three more times in just that one verse, right? And as he does, he's not just giving us a glimpse of, of the history of God's people. He's also, again, launching us forward into our future hope, right? It's what the Sunday school class has been about this semester that Matthew's been teaching, our future hope. That, that this picture of the tree is not just the history, it's the future of God's people. Um, if we were to flip all the way over to the end of the story, the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, we see the picture of a tree once more, right? A tree that, that we've seen all the way through Scripture, fr from the Garden of Eden all the way to the end of the story. And, and in Revelation 22, John records this vision, it says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kind of fruit. Do you hear that? 12 tribes, 12 fruit. 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Friends, that is the story that you belong to in Jesus, the story of God, the story that ends with a tree that is no longer struggling to bear fruit, but is bursting with fruit nourishing all the nations, Jew and Gentile, no longer as branches, but as children of the King, fellow heirs of the glory of Christ Jesus. It's a picture where God has his people and his people, that is you, have their God. And yet the reality is that even in Revelation, it can't get away from our hope shapes us in the present. And how does it do that? Because just a few verses later, we read this call. The spirit and the bride, that is the church, say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. It's the call to those who belong to the story to live lives of purpose. To live lives of purpose, joining our voices with the voice of the spirit that is already out there saying, come. Come and see. Come and find a place in the story of Jesus, the life-giving root who gave up his life so that you might have it to the full. Friends, what that story means is that you, this week, I talked to our students about Tuesday in the lunchroom. 
you this week can go out from here and live lives confidently, humbly, and purposefully as those who belong to a better story and invite others to come and see, come and be, belong to it as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who's committed to grafting branches onto your tree. And God, we thank you that, that you, um, you deemed it worth it to graft us on. Father, you certainly are a kind God and we need your help to remain in that kindness. Father, keep us from the temptation towards pridefulness. God, make us a people that live humbly with our neighbors, that live purposefully with our neighbors, that live in confidence that you are a God who says, come, and that the door is still open. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.